Thank you, Kim. Daryl, thank you for that. Let me again welcome you this morning. You and I don't know each other. <laughs> That's obvious enough. But we share a common bond in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to greet you in his name this morning and those of you who are with us online. Come as you are. Jesus says that he is lowly and gentle in heart. So how have you come this morning? Is it muscle memory that brings you to this location on Sunday mornings? Is it habit? Is it desperation? Are you searching? To all who are weary and need rest. To all who mourn and long for comfort. To all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares. To all who fail and desire strength. And to all who sin and sin again. And yet again, and need a Savior, this church opens wide her doors with the welcome of Jesus. Welcome. Would you turn with me in Scripture to Romans chapter 11, or use your phone or device, or ever how you get to that. I believe it's going to be on the screen as well. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. This is the beginning of the end of Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And he wrote this letter in anticipation of his visit to Rome on his way to his mission in Spain that he was going to start. Um, so we're picking this up sort of about at this critical juncture in this letter, and uh, I want to just read these few verses here through 12, chapter 12, verse 2. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Therefore, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the pleasure that is mine to gather with the people of South City Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, for the time that I've had with their leaders, for their hospitality, and most of all, for their love for you, for their commitment to the gospel mission. Lord, please use this time here this morning as you join us here, that your Holy Spirit would further plow deep rows of grace through this community so that gardens of newness and life could grow. Bless the reading of your word, and even as we speak of things of which we do not understand, Lord, please give us grace and just a glimpse, some wisdom this morning as we gather here. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, I have been out at a duck hunting lodge in the middle of absolutely nowhere with your leaders. I'm glad I made the drive out there before dark. Um, but it, it was, it's a beautiful location, and uh, I was so honored to be out there. Of course, Drew and Lori are dear friends of mine, and my wife and my family. We have a lot of years together. We go way back, and I just can't even tell you how grateful I am to be here this morning with you in this building. I've heard all about you and what God is doing amongst you. And your, your leaders, they're on fire. They, they've got something inside of them that's not going to stay inside of them. I'm just warning you, it's coming back. And, and so I want to kind of bridge the gap between our time there, uh, out there, um, and, and here. They're, they're, on a, they're on a mission. They're on a gospel mission. They're exploring more places in their heart to yield to the control of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're envisioning new ways to bring joy to Little Rock, Arkansas with you. There's a story in the book of Acts. It's, it's, it's in chapter 8, which is right after chapter 7. That makes sense, doesn't it? Um, but chapter 7 of Acts is where Stephen is murdered at the hands of Saul. Stoned to death. That's gruesome. Jesus hadn't been gone that long. The church had just taken root. Stephen was a newly appointed deacon. And he is stoned to death. Dark. Morbid tragic history and chapter 8 picks up with Philip preaching the good news of the gospel in a particular town the disciples didn't like draw up the bridge huddle in the corner and feel sorry for themselves I'm sure they were scared they were human beings but they went out into the city, Philip in particular, preaching the gospel with great effectiveness and courage. And, and as he's doing so, at the end of the beginning of kind of chapter 8, it says, there was much joy in the city. I love that phrase. What would that look like in Little Rock? What would it look like to work for the good of this city, for the good of people in this city, so that people said, there is much joy in this city. 
I showed this video at the retreat, and so I want to show it for you to kind of dream of what this might look like. So direct your attention to the screen. Beautiful, huh? I can't think of a better depiction of the church on mission. Bringing joy to the city. The gospel mission at its heart is a mission of love that restores joy. That plants gardens. Those of you online, I know you weren't able to see that. So just go... Google dumpster fire in the garden and you'll find the video that we just watched and uh, you'll be glad you did. Let's just kind of back up for a second and talk about a few basic things because this is such an important topic that we're talking about here. I'm going to just go through a few things and, and what I want you to do is if you don't mind just turn it over to uh, kind of back in the book of Romans to the first chapter. Um, this book is so important. There's so many important things that Paul writes between chapter 1, verse 1, and the passage we just read in chapter 11. And the first question is this, what is the gospel? I'm talking about this gospel mission, and, and I think it's important for us to just go back and define what the gospel is. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This is something that he takes very seriously. He's a servant, a slave, he calls himself, to the gospel Let's just step back and ask ourselves, what is the gospel? And he tells us right here 
in chapter 1, verse 16, it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. The power of God for salvation for a select few who go to church on Sundays. No, everyone who believes. The power of God. The power of God for salvation. We access that power by faith alone. None of us came here this morning good enough that could get to the front of the line based upon our merit to access that power. God's power in the person of Jesus takes away the penalty of our sin once and for all. And when that penalty is removed, then what begins to happen is the power of sin begins to be dismantled in our life by the working of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. So the penalty is done. We are in. You're no longer a stranger, even if you seem strange to yourself. And as we walk in this new freedom, God is dismantling the power structures of sin. And gardens are starting to grow. And not just in our heart and our souls, but in our neighborhoods and our communities throughout all the world and all of creation. That's the gospel. In a nutshell, this proclamation of God's power in the person and the work of Jesus. Second question, what exactly are we being saved from? That's a really good question. I'm glad you asked. Well, just flip over not very far from chapter 1, verse 16. In Romans chapter 1, verse 22, Paul begins to describe what is basically what we're being saved from. Namely, ourselves. <laughs> my son, when he was really young, uh, my oldest son, he was having a hard time eating his vegetables one day sitting in the high chair. Deep existential angst was beginning to ooze out of him as whatever he was, like a three-year-old or something. And um, he took his fist and pounded the you know, tray and gritted his teeth. And he said to his mom, I hate to struggle. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and his mom said, struggle with what? I mean, those are carrots. And he just kind of seethed with myself. Amen and amen. Right? That's, I mean... What are we being saved from? Ourselves. We have been lied to and we have believed the lie. We were meant to be growing gardens and now we're watching the city burn. Can't turn away. We've trivialized ourselves and our communities. We've become alienated from ourselves and from each other and most importantly from God who created us. Look at chapter 20, I mean chapter 1 verse 22 it says claiming to be wise, Paul talking about what we've been saved from, 
they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. I mean, that's ridiculous. We had the glory of God before us and we're swapping it out for creeping things. You go back to Genesis chapter 3, you see Adam and Eve making the fateful decision to eat the forbidden fruit. This story is mesmerizing to me because of its prevalence still. There they are in the garden in a perfect relationship with each other, in a perfect relationship with creation, in a perfect relationship with the creator. And yet, something surely is being withheld from us. There's some conspiracy. The enemy convinces them, the lie, which they believe, so they take and eat the fruit. And instead of the whole place going up in a cloud of smoke or the earth opening up and swallowing the first couple and the whole thing being over or an A-bomb going off and a mushroom cloud, cloud enveloping all of the Garden of Eden, all it says that happens when they took a bite of that big piece of juicy fruit, all it says that happened is their eyes were opened and they saw themselves Now, back up just a couple of verses, it says in chapter 2 at the end that they were both naked and they saw each other and there was no shame. Now, all of a sudden, they've alienated themselves from God and they see their vulnerability in a world without God. And the immediate effect of that is shame. That's our problem. Some of you carried a mountain of shame in here this morning and you don't have to walk out of here with it. That's the good news of the gospel. Well, in Genesis chapter 3, God threw up his arms wiped his hands clean of the whole project and walked away from it, didn't he? No, he didn't. That's what you think God's doing with you. Rubbing his temples, rolling his eyes. Will this person ever get this? Ah, man. No, that's not what happened. What happened? God goes looking for these pathetic people. Not that he actually had ever lost track of them, mind you. He even says, where are you? Not that he actually didn't know where they were at. He asked that more for their benefit than his own. He knew exactly where they were at. He knew exactly what had happened. And he went looking for them. And he found them. Cowering in the bushes, all made up in the way they'd made themselves up to compensate for all the shameful things they felt in a flash. And God calls Adam out, calls Eve out. Adam tries to wriggle his way out of it and blames her and blames him and all that kind of stuff, right? And God said, who told you you were naked? Who told you, you, I mean, and I, who told us 
that you're not enough, and that's shameful. Who told you in your sin and in your failures that that was the final straw? That's it for you. Who told you that? Who's telling you that right now? I'm here to tell you that God is looking for you in the person and the work of Jesus. That's the good news. He wants to grow a garden in you. That's the gospel. God comes looking for us. He comes looking for us in the person and the work of Jesus. Look at chapter 3, verse 21 in Romans. Yes, Romans is full of information for us. This is a book that I read over and over again. I can't get enough of it because I need to be reminded of the fact that God is coming looking for me in all of my naked shame, and all my failures. He's made provision in the person, the work of Jesus. And there's this really important word in verse 21 at the beginning of that verse. And what does it say? It's really technical. Do you see it? You're like, surely you don't mean that word. Yes, but that's the word. We have made a mess of things so obvious. Not only are we throwing things on the dumpster fire, we are the dumpster fire. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in, Christ, in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. That's what we came here for this morning, to receive the gift again. There's a passage in Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations, who reads that book, right? Well, it's in the Bible, chapter 3. It's an amazing chapter. It's shocking what Jeremiah the prophet says in like 19 verses, unbridled anger and resentment toward God. And then in verse 20 it says, but his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And I told your leaders, and I'm going to tell you this morning, we come receiving the gift yet again this morning. Every night that I lay my head down on the pillow, I have run dry the mercies of God. I've bankrupted the count. I have blown through my allowance of mercies. And the good news is, is when, if God willing, I wake up tomorrow morning, there'll be a whole new deposit. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that good news? Now that's good news. Jesus comes looking for us. Jesus who called himself gentle and lowly in heart. He hasn't come to pile on the shame. He's come to provide for our salvation, to give us hope, to reconnect us with God, to reconnect us with each other, and to reconnect us with ourselves. He has come to restore all of creation 
Romans 8, 22 through 23 says, the whole of creation has been groaning. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. Amen? I groan inwardly as I wait eagerly. Now, I'm going to fast forward and come back to Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Go there with me again. So what is our response to the sound of God looking for us? What is the response? Paul has been inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the 11 chapters of the book of Romans. He comes to the very end of this all-important story that he's told from verse 1, chapter 1, to verse 32, chapter 11, and the very next word out of his mouth, after he surveys all that he has written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says one word at the beginning of verse 33, and what is it? Oh. Wow. Can you believe this? In other words, Look at this. The mercies of God are wider and deeper and higher and stronger than any of us can imagine. On our worst day, it's stunning to look at. And we should look at it regularly. Not as a source of shame, but as a source of life and hope and light. This is such good news. That's what Paul's doing. Look at Paul. Paul, he was the one who killed uh, Stephen. This man wrestled with dark things in his soul. He begged God to take things from him, and God said, No, Paul, in your weakness my strength is perfected. My grace is sufficient for you. He is a man who knew God's mercies firsthand, not in an abstract way. He is a man who ran the bank account dry on God's mercies every single day of his life and woke up needing new mercies the next morning, just like you and I. And what's the response? Gratitude. The question isn't, what would Jesus do? That's a great bumper sticker, bracelet, slogan, t-shirt, whatever it is, you know, WWJD. The question is, what has Jesus done? And let's live in response to that. I don't have to be Jesus. I don't have to replicate the sacrifice and the resurrection. I can walk into my city, into my neighborhood, into my friendships, and plant gardens. So Paul appeals to that. He says, he's, he's saying to them, look, you need to get a view of God's mercies. You need to clear the clutter away. You need to get away from the dumpster fire. Go meet some people. Stop talking about all that's going wrong in the world and entertaining all the theories and the conspiracies about why it is the way it is. Go plant gardens. Go find the beauty in the rough and bring it out. That's what he says. He says, present yourself as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The only thing that would move us to do something that radical is the radical love of God. 
And if we're not feeling really up to it or we're not feeling motivated by it, it's because we have lost a vision of that. We're looking at the wrong thing. And what you see, as the old saying goes, is what you get. If you see the world as a dumpster dumpster fire, then, well, I guess I'll just pile on because that's all there is. But if you see the world as a garden coming back to life, then you'll go get your hoe and your shovel and your seeds and your love and your mercy that's overflowing out of your life, and you'll go find people who need that. thing is, is things aren't getting worse. They're only getting better. The tomb is empty. There's no more dead bodies in that tomb. That stone has been rolled back. Death has been destroyed. Jesus is alive. And we know the end of the story. So what is, what is our response to this? What does is, what is a living sacrifice look like? A life set on fire in response to God? In, in chapter 12, the rest of chapter 12, he says things like, let your love be genuine. He says, if you see evil in the world, overcome it with good. If you have enemies, do good to them. Don't repay them. That's radical in today's world, isn't it? That's what we're called to. That's the gospel mission. And to your question, but Chad, I don't know, man. Things do seem pretty out of hand. I would certainly agree with that. We've got some crazy stuff happening in the world right now. I mean, every generation thinks they've seen the worst of it, right? We're no different in that way. But for one last glimpse here in in Paul's gospel to the Romans, turn to chapter 13, just a chapter over. And he says in verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. He goes on to say, besides this, and here's the thing I want you to hear. The question is, aren't things getting worse? Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. It's kind of like we've fallen asleep in front of the fire. The TV's on. The newscasts are still buzzing in our ear about all the bad news in the world. We go to sleep with that, we wake up with that, we go to sleep with that, we wake up with that. It's like the car crash we can't turn away from. And Paul says, wake up. Wake up. You know the time, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality or sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. That's trivialized you. That's belittled you. 
that's low bar you. That's not you. That's not the you that God has loved and made provision for. No, he says, put on the armor of light, but put on Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify his desires. The tomb is empty and Jesus is alive and this isn't the dusk of human history. This is the dawn of the kingdom of God. The sun is rising. Those sounds of pain are the pains of childbirth, not death, Jesus said. South City, like all local churches around the world, are midwives helping to bring others to life. Our messengers proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ are missionaries on a gospel mission. Grace upon grace is that God uses us in his search for lost people. Back to the garden. He takes the people out of hiding, you and I, and says, come on, let's go find some more. I think there's some people in your family who are lost and hiding. I think there's people in your neighborhood who are lost and hiding. I think there's people at your work who are lost and hiding. Let's go find them. When you say, where are you, they're going to hear my voice by my grace. Why are we throwing more garbage on the dumpster fire now? Why is that so much fun? Because the enemy has lied to us yet again. Grace upon grace. But the enemy has lied to us saying this is all there is. This is the end of it. This is the nightmare. This is what your parents warned you of. If a Democrat or Republican gets into office, whatever. Let's turn away from the dumpster fire. Let's go find the light. Let's be the light. You are a leader. Your leaders have been dreaming this weekend of planting gardens with you here in Little Rock. That's what, out there, that's what they're out there doing. I'm just warning you, that tidal wave is coming back to you. So go get your tools. Go get your garden tools. Go get your bags of seed and meet them at the door. Go till ground with them in this city. Bring joy to this city. How amazing is it that we are living in a time where being subversive means bringing joy and hope? <laughs> that's crazy. To be a rebel is to like love people, to bring joy, to bring hope. That, that's what it means to be counterculture right now. <laughs> it's, it's an upside down world, isn't it? To be light and darkness, to love others, and to love ourselves. Hold your hands out in front of you. Just like this. They're empty, aren't they? And when God sees emptiness, when he sees the void, he fills it up. Just hold them out there and close your eyes and receive this doxology. These are the final words of Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and to the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God 
to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now just grasp that. Take it. Lord, we hear you saying to us this morning, where are you? And it's not a it's not a voice of frustration. It's the voice of love, the eternal fount of love, the never-ending fount of mercies. Yes, we've blown through our allowance, and it's only 11.30 in the morning. And your mercies are new yet again. Great is your faithfulness in the face of our faithlessness. So therefore, our portion is in you. And we're going to wait for you. We're not going to run off and try to fill ourselves up on more trash burning. We're going to go find a garden to grow with a friend. We're going to go plow rows and plant seeds of the good news. We're going to go with you and find the hurting and the lost. We're going to put ourselves in positions to say, yeah, I know that's really crazy over there. But look at that beautiful sunrise. Look at that beautiful bird look at that beautiful baby look at that hope in you thanks for signing us up for this thanks for finding us and giving us more than we could have ever asked for in Jesus name we pray amen would you stand with me